Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. Jesus, we so love you. Lord, thank you for your presence that's here. Lord, we know that when you show up, great things happen. So, Lord, we don't want to do church as usual. Lord, we want to encounter you today. And so, Father, we just ask, God, that uh, just your anointing and your presence would blow through this place. Father, we thank you for the gifts. Lord, we pray that they'd be stirred up. Lord, we tune our hearts in, God, to hear from heaven, fresh, new. Lord, we pray that if there's anything in this uh, place, anything in our lives that would block us from hearing from heaven today, that it would be removed now in Jesus' name. And Father, that your anointing would settle upon each one of us. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit who is the teacher and who is our guide. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and you would teach us and lead us and walk us to the truth, God, so that we might be free to live as you called us to live. So speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Listen, I really believe what uh, I'm going to share today, uh, you know, while it's simple, I definitely believe God wants to speak something to our hearts. And so I would encourage you just to open up your heart wide and let Jesus do what only he can do. Amen? Amen. So, so listen, at the beginning of, um, of the year, like I said last week, I really felt like God put in my heart that this is a year of healing. Now, I, you know, I'm sure that I'm like most people when, when uh, you know, I hear that word healing, I automatically think about healing in four different areas. And, and those would be this, obviously physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing, and spiritual healing. Now, while I'm certain that God is interested in bringing healing uh, into each one of our lives in whatever area we need, um, I just want you to know today that healing that literally God, God's healing power, that God's healing touch isn't limited to just those four areas. In fact, I believe like uh, I have a mandate really from the Lord to tell you this, that the number one area that he wants to bring healing and wholeness into your life at this moment is in the area of your identity. See, if you realize it or not, your identity is intricately and divinely connected to your value in him. Amen. So listen, in my opinion, uh, the reason I believe that the Lord is putting such a priority and he's highlighting it in such a way is because it seems like uh, that the foundation of all healing is really built on that one truth. If I can explain it to you, I would say it like this, that, um, you know, we'll, we'll pick on Jerry there for a minute, that if Jerry sat back and he actually, uh, you know, didn't think he had any value in God, then, then what would be the point of even believing that God would actually heal him? You, you know, but at the end of the day, that if, that if Jerry can see himself as one who is unconditionally loved by God, a highly valued son in the eyes of God, then why would he not believe that God is capable of bringing healing in his life? Amen? So, so the point that I'm trying to make is really simple, is that our perceived identity and that our perceived value are extremely important if we're going to receive the things that Jesus provided for us in the new covenant. In other words, if I don't believe I'm valuable to God, then, then what's the point of Jesus dying and, and being buried and being resurrected from the dead? What's the point if there's not some transaction that's going to happen from heaven to me? Amen? 
So, so listen, with all that in mind, I actually want to dive into this morning's message. I intentionally want to speak on how our perceived identity affects our lives. And to make it really simple, I believe God wants to reshape the way we see and the way we think about ourselves. So I want to begin today by actually looking at a really unique verse uh, that contains one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And this verse is found in 2 Samuel chapter 5. If we can, let's look at it together. It says this in verse 12. It says, And David perceived, that's the key word, And David perceived that the Lord had established him king over Israel, and that he had exalted his kingdom for his people, Israel's sake. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, the words that jump out at me are these six simple words. Is that, And David perceived he was king. Now, To me, those six words give us an incredible glimpse, incredible view of a key transitional moment that was happening in David's thinking and in David's life at this point in time, right? And here's why I say that, is because if it's true that David suddenly perceived or became aware or discerned or understood that the Lord had established him as the king over Israel, then it must mean that he didn't perceive it before that point, Now, what makes it so unique is this, is when you actually dig in, you find that the crown had actually been resting on David's head, and people were actually referring to him and calling him as King David, not for a day, not for a month, but they had actually been referring to him as king, and he'd been wearing that crown for a total of seven years. Now, the only way I know how to describe what was possibly happening in David's thinking at this moment is that his identity was finally catching up with his assignments. In other words, that the way himself, the way he saw himself, he finally went, wow, that's what God's actually doing, and that's actually who God's called me to be. So, which means this, that in spite of God installing him in the position of king and the people actually accepting him as king, it would appear like at this moment that David didn't see or think about himself in the same way. In fact, it's pretty obvious that his perceived identity didn't line up or was in agreement with his true God-given identity. Now, listen, I don't know about you, but uh, I can certainly relate to uh, where David's at in that moment, right? Like a while ago, Dr. Ben referred to, uh, you know, the time where actually Jennifer and I were installed as pastors of this church. I knew that God called us here. These guys recognized that God called us here. They actually laid hands, anointed us, and prayed, and installed us in the position of pastor. From that spot on, guess what? Uh, People in the church actually referred to me, that's our pastor, But the reality was, is even though God put me here, and even though people called me that, it took me a long time to actually begin to see and think of myself as the pastor and the leader of this church. It took a lot longer than I would like to admit. Why? Because Because my identity was trying to catch up with my assignment, right? So if we go back to David for a moment, in light of what we read there in 1 Samuel, um, I think it's fair to ask, why did David struggle to perceive that he was king? Why did David struggle to perceive who God had made him? You know, I think that's a fair question, but, but I, I got to say this. Even when I ask that question, it's funny because I know a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their brains around why David would struggle like that. In fact, most people, when they look at David's life, they go, just, well, if David could defeat Goliath when an entire army was frozen in fear, right? Then why would it become such a big deal for him to become king? Wasn't he just this great man of faith? You know, and the funny part is when we sit back, especially in the church world from the time we're little, 
Everybody tells the stories about David, right? And they always focus on the positive things. And so we see David through this lens of being this, you know, the shepherd boy who's a gifted musician. He's an anointed worshiper, right? And then we see him as he grows and develops. There's almost like this unusual amount of favor on his life. We kind of view him as this natural and confident leader. We understand that, man, wow, this guy really understands authority. Wow, he's really a loyal friend. And then we just look at all the great exploits that he had in battle, and you go, man, that guy was brave, and he was courageous. And then we look at how he interacted with Saul, especially when things were going south, and we go, man, he was such a guy of integrity. The Bible even says this, my favorite part, he was handsome, right? (laughs) And he was well-spoken, and he was very skilled. And then it says this, last but not least, that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, of course, I think when we sit back and we just choose to look at David through, you know, that color-shaded lens, right, that it's easy to see why everyone would think, man, he was just this natural-born winner. Like, we kind of viewed David as this guy that kind of just leaped effortlessly from one victory to another. So it's like, duh, obviously God would make him king. And so once again, we have a hard time wrapping our brain around why he would ever struggle to perceive that God had established him as king. But you see, I think when we choose to only look at David's life through those lens, uh, we inevitably forget about all of the things that made a dramatic impression on his life up to that point. And here's what I mean by that. Um, How many of you guys know that our victories and our defeats leave lasting impressions on our life? Right? And and the truth is, if we stopped and if we went around the room, we would find out that that, uh, the defeats kind of last longer than the victories. (laughs) Right? They kind of stick to us a little bit more, right? And they just, they just last longer. And so I think if we can, for a moment, if we can just set aside all that great things about David, all the stuff that we ooh and we awe over and we just celebrate, uh, let, let's go for a moment and let's look at the other side so we can see what David's life really looked like, okay? So if you can, I want you to, to maybe stop and realize that there's scriptural evidence that would suggest that David was an illegitimate child, right? means he was unwanted. His parents weren't married, Right? Which would explain when the prophet Samuel came to Jesse's house, who was David's father, to anoint the next king of Israel. What did his father do? Did his father, uh, you know, celebrate, here's David? No, no, no. He, He left David out in the field. Instead, what Jesse did is he paraded his seven other sons. Get that. Every other son he had, he paraded them in front of the prophet with no thought about David. And so it's really easy to understand that here's David who had a father that overlooked him. And if you fast forward in the story, you find out that not only does dad overlook him, but his oldest brother who we all know sometimes if dad's not doing the gig sometimes the older brother does the gig right instead his older brother despised him he called him arrogant and prideful we know that in essence he grossly misunderstood David's character and David's heart well watch this if you read the story you would think that just maybe things were looking up for David here's David he's a shepherd boy he's playing his harp right doing his deal and he becomes known for his for his gifting and so basically the king who we know is tormented by devils uh, basically invites him and he comes in and plays the harp for uh, King Saul and what happened was is when he would play such a piece and the presence of God would come the Bible says that King Saul loved David greatly and decided to make him his armor bearer. In other words he brought him close. He was his, his go-to guy. Now the initial thought at least to me at that moment is oh man maybe maybe things are turning around for David. And here's why I think that that maybe Saul's going to be the father that he never had. Have you ever been there? But Saul's hate quickly turned into Saul's, sorry, Saul's love quickly turned into Saul's hate because he became jealous of David. 
So much so that the Bible says that King Saul tried to actually pin David to the wall several times by throwing the spear at him. And the Bible makes it really clear that Saul wanted to destroy David so much that it actually says this, that Saul became David's enemy continuously. Do you get what that means? It means that literally every breath, every waking moment of this guy, he wanted to kill David. Right? Which David responded what? The Bible says that it caused him to be very afraid. And I want you to see something that not only have some of us had, uh, I'll just say it, dad wounds, dad issues, right? Thinking that somebody was going to come through, somebody was going to love us, somebody was going to accept us. But, but what about the things that, that have been promised in life? Has anybody ever felt like you had a promise that somebody made to you and they didn't follow through? Come on, talk to me, church. Yeah. So watch this. Let's not forget what the promise, uh, the promises that were made to the guy that was, you know, said that, man, if you kill Goliath, here's what you'll get. Look at 1 Samuel 17 with me if you can. It says, and it shall be that the man who kills Goliath, the king, King Saul, will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Is it just me or does that sound like a sweet deal? Like, man, he says, okay, if I go out there and I fight old Big Ugly and I kill him, then guess what? If he dies, then, man, the king is going to give me all this money and I'm going to be rich. And the king is going to make me his son-in-law, right? Because he's going to give me his beautiful daughter in marriage. And then my dad doesn't have to pay taxes. Man, that's awesome. Right? It sounds good to me at least, right? But listen, when you continue to read the story, you actually find out that this young lady that was promised to David was actually given to another man. And you actually find that all that money that he was promised, guess what? It didn't come to him. We know that because the Bible says this in the chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says that, that David literally referred to himself as a poor and lightly esteemed man. What am I saying? I'm saying that Saul, that guy that had the opportunity to be, you know, basically the spiritual father, the leader that he needed, right? He lied to him, right? And, and he didn't follow through with his promises, now watch this, if these wounds weren't deep enough already, the Bible goes on to say that yes, that, that he became, David became Saul's armor bearer, and yes, that he began to lead armies. But when you read the story, you find out that the very armies of Israel that David repeatedly led into battle and repeatedly led to victories would later be the same army that pursued and tried to kill him. Right? When, when Saul turned on him, David had to flee, right? He had to flee and he was hiding in the desert. The Bible says he's sleeping in ditches and caves and all this stuff, just trying to survive because the whole time Saul and that army that David used to lead was literally pursuing him and trying to hunt him down like a dog so they could kill him. Talk about being betrayed, right? Listen, but it was there that God did something really unique. It was at the cave of Adullam, God began to draw people to David. These people became known as David's mighty men. And what was very interesting, at least to me, about this is these guys were outcasts and criminals in society. And rather than David rejecting them like he had been rejected, David actually embraced them. He trained them. He led them. And he actually helped them discover a new purpose in life. And when you, when you actually begin to read, uh, you know, basically 2 Samuel, you find out that there was this bond between these men and David. But what's so, what's so interesting, that bond too went south. Because we read that they were out basically one day, they were fighting, and they came back home to Ziglag. And what happened when they got back to Ziglag? The Bible says that literally that all their stuff was gone, their wives were gone, their children were gone, literally everything was gone. Now, these guys were used to being on the, uh, the giving end of that, not the receiving end of that. 
And so they were shell-shocked. And what they do? They, they didn't get mad at the enemy that come and took everything. They, they actually blamed David for everything that happened. They got angry at him. So much so that it says that they began to talk and they were talking about, we're going to kill David. Betrayal, right? So how did David respond? The Bible says it simply, he said, okay, he got with the Lord and he led him into battle and he reclaimed everyone and everything that had been stolen from them. Hang with me. Fast forward in David's story again. Once again, when we think things are turned around for David, that guy that had been hunting him down, Saul, for all those years. Guys, we're talking, let me, let me put it for you. We're talking for like almost 15 years. He'd been on the run, okay? That guy finally died, and David was anointed king of Judah at the age of 30. And you think, once again, okay, we're heading in the right direction. Like maybe all this mess that I've been going through is going to turn around. But the Bible says that when David became king of Judah, right, that's the northern uh, basically tribe of Israel, that all the rest of Israel, that basically Saul's son was anointed as king, even though he wasn't the real king, man, a civil war broke out. Now, what's so amazing is, is now David is pinned against a nation that 15 years earlier that the prophet Samuel walked to his front door poured oil on him, and said, hey, you're going to be the next king of this nation, Israel. Now that nation, he was at war with them. Not for a month, but for seven and a half years. Can you understand that something that you're destined to lead, that now you're tearing it apart for your own survival? Am I making sense? What's my point I'm trying to get at here? I'm hoping that we would all see that, yay, here's all these awesome things about David. But then we'd recognize, whew, Man, it wasn't exactly a bed of roses, right? And, and the reason I'm going to such lengths to say all this is, is because some of us, basically, we forget about all this in our life, and we focus on all of this, and we allow this to make our identity. And because this is all we see in our lives, uh, we are in a perpetual thing that, man, we just can't perceive that God would make his king. And we're not moving forward. And we're just repeating uh, cycles and patterns in our lives year after year after year. And it feels like we can never get traction to become ultimately who God's called us to be. Now, to me, the hope in all this is this, is when I read David's story, um, and if I brought it to today, okay, let's say it this way. Is everybody okay? Let's say it this way. When I came and interviewed for the job, They look at this, oh yeah, they look at this, man, you're you're disqualified. You got too many issues, dude, right? And here's what's so amazing, that God who knows everything saw that and saw that and said, you're still qualified because I qualify you. You know, to me, what's so amazing, the Bible actually says when God chose David to be king, it actually means that he, that he looked around the nation. Get that. He looked around the nation and almost, in essence, interviewed, inspected people's lives, and he chose David. Because in the midst of all of that, what's so great about David is he, just, he really just loved the Lord. <laughs> Amen? So, so if I can kind of land this part in this, that when we come here to 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 25, David's no longer the shepherd boy. He's no longer the 30-year-old. Now he's 37 years old. He has lived all that, been through civil war. Uh, you know, l- listen, and so in spite of all the many victories, in spite of 
what's been prophesied over in spite of all of his qualities, uh, can you begin to see that just maybe how all this trauma, all this hurt, all this disappointment, all this rejection, all these unfulfilled promises could potentially cause David to struggle with perceiving himself as king? Right? I, I just think it's this, that, that can you see that why he would potentially not see and think of himself, not, like, not only like others, but how God would see him? Absolutely, right? And, and so I just think on that note, if we, could, if we could maybe make it personal like this. Everybody with me? If we can make it personal like this, that like David, in spite of all of our great qualities, because we all have them in here, could it be possible that you too are struggling and moving forward in your God-given destiny because of some traumatic or devaluing event uh, that you've had to endure in your past? And could it be possible that you're having today a hard time transitioning into what God has for you next because you have a perceived identity about yourself that is not from God? Can I, before I move forward, let me say it like this. Let me talk to somebody really quick. When, when, I, when I sit down and I meet with people and counsel with people, I'm surprised how often they, they come and they sit down and they identify basically um, the reason they're not who God's called them to be is because of some circumstance or situation. And typically, they're blaming someone else. They're like David's mighty men in the cave of Adullam. They're blaming someone else for why they aren't who God's called them to be. And I want you to recognize today that that's not your problem. If your circumstance changed because of your identity, your perceived identity, you would just find another circumstance that's just like it. Right? It's, um, you, you know, it's like this. Um, how many couples have I seen over the years that have come in and said, hey, let's meet, let's talk. They get divorced, and they think that person's my problem, and then they go and they remarry. And you know what happens about 99.9% .9 of the time? The exact same thing. Why? Because the problem wasn't who they were with. The problem was their identity. Y'all wait. Listen, and a lot of times... Because watch this, because they don't know their identity. And I think I said this last week. Um, this is where I'm just like, Lord, talk to us, right? Because they don't know their identity and they don't know their value. They never value their spouse. And so what they do is they take their devalued identity over here. And now they may be married to a wonderful person. But because they don't value themselves, they're not going to value that person. And that relationship which started good is going to go south just like that one. Am I making sense? Let me give it to you like this. How many people, this is the greatest job I've ever had. Three months later, I hate my job. <laughs> so they quit. They go get another job, right? This is the greatest job. It's so, oh, my boss is now so much better than that one. And now they're like, I hate my boss. Why? Because the problem just changed addresses. Am I making sense? I'm talking to somebody today, right? And so, listen, I just want you to know that that yes, that these issues concerning our identity, yeah, they're really common, right? They're really common. So, so I don't want you to beat yourself up. I don't want you to think you're alone in at the same time. Uh, but I also want you to know that even though it's common, it doesn't mean that you have to make the mistake by blowing it off and staying there. Okay, l listen, if we could just get, truthfully, truthfully, if we could just get 10 people in the room to grab a hold of this, oh my goodness, what would happen? Right? 
And so quit waiting on everybody else. You grab a hold of it. Amen? Listen, here's the truth that I want us to grab a hold of today. And we'll throw the next slide up. It's this. Until we fully embrace our God-given identity and value, we will continue to block, delay, or hinder what God has called us to do. Watch this. Until we have an identity shift game, our lives will not be as effective or fruitful as they could be. Until you and I have an identity shift, our lives will not be effective and as fruitful as they could be. If you know that's true, say, oh yeah. Yeah. Let me give you another verse here just to give you an example and we'll pick up the pace here. Jeremiah chapter 1 says this, biblical example of how all this could hold you back. It says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It's God talking to Jeremiah. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Do y'all realize that God created every one of you on purpose? Right? He intentionally made you and he gave you a purpose. And it's not for something just small. It's not for something just struggle. Man, there's something great that God has deposited in every single one of us. Amen? So watch this. I, I, I love this. That Yes, this is talking Jeremiah's identity. Yes, it's talking about to his destiny. But I want you to watch how he responded because this is how most of us, including myself, have responded more times we like to admit to the Lord. So God says, you called to do this great thing. And he goes, oh, sovereign Lord, Jeremiah said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Do y'all understand that if you're going to be a prophet, it requires you to speak? That kind of goes with the job description, right? And God said, I've called you to do this. He said, I can't do it, right? You ever felt like that? Yeah. So in other words, he's saying, look, I, I, God, I get what you're saying, but man, I have this perceived identity that doesn't seem to match up with the one that you have of me. And so I'm going to basically lay out my excuses. I'm going to lay out why I can't do it, why I can't become who you called me to be. And I love how the Lord responds to Jeremiah's perceived identity. He said, do not say... I am only a child. Can we say, do not say? say. Man, let that sink deep in our spirits. Do not say, I am only a child. Come on, let's settle in here just for a moment. See, when Jeremiah said this in essence, I want you to notice, when he said, God, I can't do what you want me to do because I don't see myself as being able to be a prophet to the nations. I want you to grab a hold of how God did not respond to Jeremiah. So often we look and we say, well, well look, look how he responded. No, no, let's look at how he didn't respond for a moment. Because I think sometimes we as Christians, we as the church, uh, we, we come and we try to respond to people's uh, moment where they say that they don't see themselves in some way and we give them bad advice and we don't help them and we keep them on that cycle. Yes? So notice that God didn't say, Jeremiah goes, I can't do it. And he didn't say, yeah, it's okay, Jeremiah. Uh, you're covered by my grace. It's okay you're a heap of mess. It's okay, right? In other words, he didn't come and enable him to stay in wrong thinking, and he didn't enable him to keep an unfruitful life, right? Nor did he do this, and this is for our super spiritual folks. He didn't come say, Jeremiah, if you had enough faith, uh uh-huh, it'd fix all your problems. Just get you some faith, brother, right? Nor did he come, and this is for our smart people, he didn't say, you know, if you get enough right doctrine, right, it, it would settle your identity issues, he didn't come and say, you know what, if you work really hard, maybe the church will recognize you and they'll give you this leadership position and, and it'll somehow, you know, help all your struggles disappear. 
He didn't say, you know what? I just think if you, if you go around the nation, look at where God's moving. If you go get 500 more confirming prophetic words to what I've already spoken to you, or maybe if you go over here and you, and, you, and you grunt hard enough and you seek hard enough and you let me anoint your gift, right? Or maybe if you go and you, you get a powerful encounter with me, then maybe then you can rise above it all. Now, are any of those things bad? Are you th- no, they're not bad. Listen, I believe in grace. Thank God we're saved by grace. We need grace, right? I'm thankful for faith, right? We need faith, right? It's impossible to please God without faith, right? So I believe in right doctrine. Who wants to go live a bunch of lies? And, uh, you know, we need to have the right doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says. I believe in leadership, right? I'm called to leadership. I believe in prophetic words. Look, I thank God for the anointing because I couldn't do what I do without it, right? So I love having encounters with God. But I just want us to know that none of those things were God's solution for uh, the pollution, I'm still from Carol there for a moment, uh, of things that were going on in my man's head, right? So watch what was God's solution to Jeremiah's identity. I'm going to paraphrase it here. Basically, God's solution was simple. He said this. He said, Jeremiah, it is time for you. In fact, some of you are just going to put your name in there. It is time for you to stop feeding that wrong, devaluing, misled, perceived identity that you've been carrying for way too long. How? By the words that you say. Listen, sometimes I think we need to let something starve if we want it to die. You know, and if we can maybe understand for a moment, guys, that, that when we walk around, man, I've done this for years. I would have the Holy Ghost go, ump, don't, ump, don't, ump, don't, sorry. Uh, not, not. So say, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. And I would, and I'd keep saying it, keep saying it, keep saying it. I keep tearing myself down, keep tearing myself down, keep, I don't like the way I look. I don't like when I act like this. I don't do like that, right? And I, and I constantly, what I did was, is I just kept feeding the perceived identity that I had. That the truth is that was given to me as a child. Because that's really where most of it starts, Right? And so here's the thing. When God kind of said, ah, you know, stop saying that. Well, we start starving some of those parts of my life. And I noticed, oh, I don't really say that anymore. Like I really had that revelation yesterday with this. You know, I used to really dog how I look. I don't really do that anymore. Why? Because somewhere along the line, I identified the lie that it was connected to. Truthfully, cultivate helped me discover that. Okay. So, so listen, I'm just going to uh, maybe step out here and kind of just ask for a moment. Uh, does God agree? Does God, not your mama, okay, not your best friend, but does God agree with everything you're currently thinking and saying about yourself? See, I, I've been studying this and reading this, and I've been challenged again to, okay, I need to start praying, Holy Spirit, uh, do you agree with what I'm saying and what I'm thinking about myself? I've been waiting on the Lord. Lord, speak to me. Tell me. What, what, where are we not in agreement? Because if two are going to walk together, they've got to be in agreement. So, so if I'm going to go where you want me to go, I need to be in agreement where we're going. Right? So would you speak to me, God? And, and so I would just simply encourage you maybe to do the same thing. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. See, you see, I, I'm realizing more and more, and I've known this in the past, but it's being highlighted in the season. And when it's highlighted, you just know God wants to do something. It's this, is that sometimes God has to stop our words to shift our identity. That sometimes God has to stop our words to shift our identity. Why? Because the Bible clearly says there's life and death in the power of tongue. And it says this, that whatever we speak, we will eat the fruit of it. 
And we have to go, man, do I like the fruit I'm eating right now? Yeah? I, I don't know why this is coming to my head, but, but, but here you go. I, I don't know why I'm about to share this. I'll probably regret it. Um, <laughs> so, like, I'm from the South, right? So it gets super hot. And uh, as, a, as a teenager, I loved playing basketball. I played basketball for like three hours a day. And uh, we had a little hoop in the yard, and I would just sit outside for hours, boom, boom, just shooting. And I remember one day, it was like really, really hot. And, and I came running in the house, whoo, I came through the garage, opened the door, and there was a solo cup. Some of y'all know where this is going. And uh, it's sitting on the counter, and I saw those red plastic cups. And I looked at it, and I was like, oh, Coca-Cola. Whew, right? And I grabbed it. I know whose it was, didn't care. And I went, oh, big old gulp. And I about puked because I was expecting Coke, and instead I got Coke and Jack. <laughs> right? And I, and I just wasn't ready for the moment. And, and, I, and I just, and I, and, uh, and I'll just say this, that sometimes uh, we keep acting like, yay, and we go and we're getting Coke and Jack results. Well, we got to stop. Well, man, what have we been speaking into? Am I making sense? If you want something that's sweet and that's good, if you want to eat good fruit, then start speaking towards good fruit. Amen? Amen. So listen, I don't know about you. I'll just say it like this. We'll move on. I, I want to speak life and not death over my identity and my destiny. Amen? Amen. Let me read something to you about a guy named Dale Mast. Uh, it's kind of sparked some of this that I'm sharing today. But he said this. Talking about God. He said, God will also reveal things that we can no longer speak about ourselves so that we can shift into our future with Him. God knows that what we think and say about ourselves is so central to His call on our lives. Until we speak what He has spoken about us, we will not impact the earth with heaven. Man, when I read that last line, it, it was straight up like a mule kicking me in the chest. Until we speak what he has spoken about us, we will not impact the earth with heaven. So I'm going to ask you again, the words that you are speaking, does God agree with them? Amen? So listen, I think if we're going to today, if we're going to sit back, we're going, okay, uh, what do we need to stop doing? Okay, so we need to stop speaking some things, okay? So, so what do we maybe need to do if we're going to get running in the right direction God wants us to run in? Let me give you a verse. If you haven't leaned in, lean in now, please. John 1, verse 19 says, Now this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. It says, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah, right? It says, They asked him, Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. I, I love it. Every time I read that, I can't help but think, his answer kept getting shorter. I'm like, a man's like, he means business, right? And then it says in, in verse 22, oh, creepy John, right? Here we go if you watch The Chosen. It says, finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? In other words, what's your perceived identity, man? says that John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. He didn't say what mom said. He didn't say what dad said. He didn't get what he thought. He said, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. What's the point? What came out of his mouth is what the word of God already said about him. You see, I think John understood the powerful truth that uh, the way we see ourselves 
is crucial to our identity. It's crucial to our destiny, right? I think he understood that if, if he, just like us, we're going to step into the next season of our destiny, then we got to have an identity shift. Y'all realize that today, that we need an identity shift. Now, now here, here's something that you need to know today. If you're sitting here and you're like, man, I want an identity shift. You need to recognize that it doesn't just happen because you get tired of it. I don't know, what do you mean? So, so often we just accept things the way they are, and we're like, ah, oh, they'll just kind of go away. How many guys know things just don't really ever go away? That's like saying, oh, I saw carpenter ants. They'll just go away. <laughs> and then your house falls down, right? So, so listen to what I'm about to say, please. That the old, that the, the wrong identity pieces that we all carry, they never leave because we grow tired of it. The old, the, the old identity only leaves when the new displaces it. See, here what I'm about to say, you, you, can't, you can't rebuke an old identity out. You just simply got to displace it with what? You got to come and you got to bring a lie before God and you guys change that lie for the truth of what he already says about us. Are you with me? Listen, I personally believe that the news starts with what we say about ourselves because, once again, our words create our identity. I know I keep repeating that. I keep banging that drum. That is intentional, okay? So, so listen, can you just imagine maybe for a moment um, in your life, what would happen if you actually took God's advice that he gave Jeremiah and you actually stopped it? If you actually stopped saying what he doesn't agree with in your life. I would say, you know what's funny? The Lord hasn't just been going, hey, stop saying that to me. He's actually even been dealing with me on my posture. I'm like, what? Because why? Because I'm recognizing my posture even demonstrates the way I view about myself. Right? And he's like, fix it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so what would happen if you stopped it? Okay. If you stop saying the things that God didn't agree with. But watch this. What would also happen if you and we collectively begin to speak and actually begin to declare and actually begin to believe what God has already said about us. If we came in agreement with the very words that he's already spoken, how different would our lives be? Right? I'm convinced we wouldn't keep settling for mediocre stuff. Amen? Amen. So listen, the word of God just says a few things. In fact, let, let, me, let me just do it this way. Somebody from y'all, it could be anyway, it could be the amen corner over here. Love y'all. It, it could be anybody. Somebody, somebody holler at me something that you know, a piece that God says this about us in the Bible. Somebody give it to me. Remember, raised up, seen in heavenly places. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Co-heirs with Christ. Yeah, Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Royal priesthood. Anybody else? I'm waiting for one good one here. They're all good, but I'm waiting for a particular one. I didn't come out right. Yeah. Listen. Say again. That's the one I was waiting on. Good job, Claire. Man, that we are sons and daughters of the living God. Look, all of those are right, but let's ask, do we really believe that? How many of you guys know there's a difference between quoting something and believing it? Amen? You know what's funny? I, you know, when, when this scripture out of John came to life with, for me, is uh, we actually went in a staff meeting down in North Carolina, and uh, Brian was there. We were all sitting there, boom, and our pastor shared this. And it went, Pow! 
in my gut. But he said this. He said he would walk around, and he would say the verse that Miss Joanne said uh, again and again, uh, that it's um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says basically, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That he had said literally thousands of times, I thank you, I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you, I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I thank you, I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. And Pastor Al said that he was in the airport one day and somebody uh, stuck out a hand and said, hey, I'm Bob or whatever the name was. He said, I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> In other words, man, it went from here and it got in him so much, that's just what came out. That's what God wants to see in our lives. Amen? So what would happen once again if we stopped it and we started it? I believe some dramatic things would change. Amen? Can you please stand to your feet? Look, I'm a proponent of giving the Holy Spirit some room. So can you do me a favor? Just close your eyes. The goal today is not information. The goal is transformation. The goal is that God would impart something in us that can't be shaken out of us. So if you can, just close your eyes and just settle your heart. Just focus on him for a minute. Lord, we thank you that you're a relational God. And we thank you that you said that your sheep know your voice. So, Lord, we thank you that in this moment we have the great opportunity and the ability to hear from heaven. So, Lord, as we sell our hearts today, God, I'm just asking, God, for every one of us, Holy Spirit, is there anything that we've been saying or anything we've been thinking that you're not in agreement with? Would you speak to us now? that you've heard from God. Can you just lift your hands, please? Yeah, thank you. Well, Holy Spirit, speak to us, Lord, today. See, the goal of the moment is to do what we just did a while, is to exchange something. We're going to exchange a lie for a truth. So, Holy Spirit, I ask, God, that you wouldn't just show us what we need to stop doing, but you would show us what we need to start saying. I just feel like I need to say this. Um, the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that we look to the author and the finisher of our faith and I just encourage some of y'all some of y'all are so distracted by the issues that you have going on in your life the complications and they're real they're real they're not fun they're not good to walk through they're painful um, but man as long as you keep giving that all your attention and you forget to look to the one who's the author and finish your faith it's not going to change there's a sure promise in Philippians that says this, that he who begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. 
He is trying his hardest to complete that work in you. But you got to partner with him. You know, I learned a long time ago when I'm facing a problem, because I kind of, I, I can be the kind of guy that gets emotionally attached to it, and I can think that thing to death, and I can role play 8,000 ways, and, and I can run out of patience and try to go fix it myself. And I've had to learn over the years that every time I go put my hand on something, God takes his hands off of it. And, uh, and so I would encourage you today, in the name of Jesus, to take your hands off of it. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and let him work. Let him work on you and let him work on the other person that's involved or the other people that's involved or whatever's on the opposite side of the problem. Can we just say this? Just say, Lord, come on, help me out, church. Say, Lord, I surrender. Yeah, say something. Say, Father, I come to you today and I give you my perceived identity. I'm asking in the name of Jesus that you would exchange it for my true identity in you. So Lord, we don't want to be a people that block or stop what you're trying to do in our lives. And so Lord, we just simply today, God, by just an act of faith and saying these things, we're saying we come in agreement with you. God, we fix our eyes on you. We fix our heart on you. And we say, Lord, would you come and would you just begin to expose the lies of the enemy? God, and would you begin to reveal truth? And Lord, would you help us come in agreement and alignment with you? Because, Lord, we do believe that you've called us to do great things. And, Lord, we don't want to keep getting in the way. And so, Lord, thank you for doing only what you can do in us. God, would you come and would you heal our identity today? Would you heal our mind? God, would you begin to give us new thoughts to think? And God, would you give us new motives, new reasons, God, to do what you called us to do. So, Lord, I'm asking God here today, even that you would heal marriages. God, I'm asking God that you would heal broken hearts. God, I ask God that you would heal uh, just, just things, just pain and hurt from the past, just old wounds. Father, we're not asking God that you would cover them up. God, they've been covered up way too long. God, we're asking that you would completely heal and restore them in Jesus' name. Father, we uh, want today, we want to perceive, God, who you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we just simply release uh, just true biblical identity, God, in every single person. We release wholeness. We release health. God, if there's any other person here that needs to be healed in their body, Father, we just receive it now in Jesus' name. God, we thank you for healing, God, our bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.